Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone online. Uh, I'll ask you the question I asked them. Do you ever wonder what heaven was like? Uh, I used to wonder as a kid, um, and, and I didn't sit around and just think all day about it, but, you know, once or twice or whatever, I wondered about it. You know, what was it like? Uh, what was it there? Uh, what the temperature was like? When you grow up in Minnesota, you worry about what the temperature's like. Um, you know, uh, you wonder, like, what your body would be like, you know? Do I get my young body, my old body back? Um, what do you do all day? That's always an interesting question. What do you do all day, you know? Um, do you just sit and play the harp? Uh, I used to, so I kind of like that idea, but even I'd probably get tired of that, I suppose, after a few eons. I mean, what is it like? Uh, what is it like? And, and, and would you really want to know what it was like? If you had the chance, would, would you really want to... Would you want to know? And, and if you did get to know, if you did get to see it, what would you do with that knowledge? Would you go write a book about it? Would you make an inspirational movie? Would you, uh, uh, tell, would you even tell anybody? Would, would, the, would you worry that maybe the people couldn't handle the truth? Um, well, what do we know? Well, you can turn to the Bible, but it's amazing. The Bible actually doesn't tell you a whole lot. It doesn't give a lot of description. Uh, the Old Testament gives just about nothing. I mean, almost in terms of details, it just talks about the heavens and the Lord in the heavens. Uh, so you get the sense that there's a plural, but that's about all it gives you. It doesn't go into any more detail than that. Then you get to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Well, Jesus drops little hints here and there. You know, people ask him, you know, are we married in heaven? He says, well, in heaven we're neither male nor female, nor are we married. Okay, then what are we? I don't know. He doesn't answer. He just says what we're not. Okay, so that's what you're not. All right. He tells the thief on the cross, he says, well, you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, paradise. So it's a good thing. It's good. And, uh, but he doesn't even get into a whole lot more detail than that. You know, where are my clouds? Are there clouds, Jesus? Tell me. I want to know. And he doesn't tell you. Then we get the Apostle Paul. He comes after Jesus. What does Paul say? Well, it's kind of interesting. Paul says he actually got to see it. He got to see it. He says, right here in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. I love how he tries to start out sounding so humble, almost like a humble bird. I know a person who, speaking for a friend, people are saying, oh no, he doesn't say that, um, right? We know who the person is who got caught up. It's him, right? There isn't a whole lot of doubt on this. He's the, he's the person he knows who that was caught up and, um, and it says he got to the third heaven. Ooh, there's at least three, there's at least what, three levels, three versions? I don't know. It's nice. Um, but what's interesting is he doesn't even know if he was physically there, if it was a vision, right? It was kind of interesting. So then he says that he saw, he heard things that should not be heard and should not be repeated. Uh, and he's not allowed to share. So it's kind of like a big tease. I know the answer, but, but, and, I, and trust me, I know it, but I'm not going to tell you, right? It's a big tease. I mean, here he's got the answer to the burning question that inquiring minds want to know, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. It's like, 
you know, I, I know. It's like coming up, walking around Roswell and saying, you know, I've been to Area 51. I've been there. I've been to the farthest hangar. I've been way back in the very back. I've seen it. I've seen things civilians are not allowed to see. I know. And then they're like, what did you see? Oh, I can't tell you. You know, and you're like, great. So all I'm stuck with is the History Channel and that one guy going, looking at pyramids and going, aliens? Really? Why not tell us, Paul? Why not tell us? Isn't that the question? Paul, why don't you answer this question for it? You know, you, you could, it would solve so much. You could take your story and go to Sam Harris and, and show him that eternity is real and that it's wonderful and it's not a psychosomatic reaction of neurons caused by a death response. You could get, make him believe. I mean, imagine if I could just show the non-believers how great it was. They'd join the church right away. Why not tell the story? Why hide the evidence? Why just keep telling people to trust you when you could just blow them away with this awesome truth? We ask that question probably because it would make our job of evangelism a heck of a lot easier. You know, if I didn't have to try to persuade Mr. Harris on Bible testimony alone... But Paul says there's a good reason why he doesn't. There's a good reason why he doesn't elaborate. And partly, you wonder if part of the vision was don't tell anybody. But he also says, he, he goes on, he says, he doesn't want people to think too highly of him. I mean, it could go to your head to be the first person to see the third heaven. I mean, it'd feel good. You could tell that story. You'd get crowds all around you. Right? You can start thinking you're pretty special. You can start thinking you're the chosen one. Right? Letting people in on the big secret. I mean, God must really love me if he gave me that special knowledge. And if I have that special access to God, man, I, I, you know, people start taking me more seriously and my word would be God's word. Right? Oh, there's power in that. There's power in that. I could, I could just you know, go ahead and make myself the king and I could rule over everything and we wouldn't have to deal with all the messiness of politics, I could just make all the right decisions because my decisions are God's decisions because I saw the answer in the third heaven. And Paul knows that. He knows that that's where it could lead. If he, because he had a special revelation from God that it could get to his head and his followers' heads and he could end up pretty darn puffed up and powerful, it could become a new religion, Paulism. But he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about Jesus. And if he takes the spotlight of the story and puts it on him, he takes the spotlight away from Christ. So he goes on. Here he says in uh, uh, verses 6 through 7, But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen or heard from me even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. So I could tell you all about it and show you how hot stuff I am because I have special knowledge, but I won't because it will go to my head. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. And besides, you know, you have to kind of think this thing through a little bit. If people are being told, if people are already being told what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and how Jesus acted, 
and who Jesus was and the difference that Jesus made in my own life. And, and, and we already have told them all that. You know, shouldn't that be enough? I mean, do you really need more? I mean, isn't it a little manipulative to go wowing people with special revelations and instead of just laying out the case for Jesus, you know, and having to impress them? I mean, I mean that kind of power, that kind of power, that could be used for bad, right? I mean, just remember Jim Jones. He had special revelations from Jesus. How did that end? Not well. So in order to not get puffed up and take away from Christ, Paul says he's going to shut up and be the humble messenger. He has the power, but he chooses not to use it. Right? He, Paul chooses the path of weakness so that he does not overshadow the power of Christ. And in taking weakness, his message is more powerful. And that's where you get one of these greatest lines of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says Jesus himself told him this. Power is made perfect in weakness. The power of the gospel is, exact, is exactly because it is not coerced or manipulated or based on wowing people with magic tricks or shoved down people's throats. It, it, it's not done with personality cults and little wowie thingamabobbers, you know, and sharks with laser beams and whatever. It speaks for itself. Now, have there been Christians who've pushed Christianity down people's throats with power? Oh yeah, absolutely, there's been a lot of them. But here's what happens when you do that. In the short run, you get more converts. You know? I mean, who's going to really sit there in that Norwegian fjord at low tide, tied to a post, and told that by high tide, you can either accept Jesus or meet him personally? Who's really going to say no to that? Which is what St. Olaf the king of Norway did to all the other tribal Viking chieftains who wouldn't convert. That's how, Norway be, that's how he made all of Norway Christian. That's how he dealt with the pagan holdouts. Tied them to a post. Well, what happened with that? It worked for a while. Worked for a long while. But now, now where are we? Well, you go to Norway and what do you get? 1% church attendance? 3% maybe? And most of the growing churches are growing because of African immigrants moving there. Most of the growing churches in Scandinavia are immigrant churches. Primarily people coming from Africa where church attendance is a lot higher. And so what happened is in, they combined the gospel, Jesus' humble message, with state power. They merged it with the state. They forced it on people and eventually the people decided to walk away. And now the church has to deal with this relentless criticism and take on constant heat for the power that was abused back when it had that power. And it's hard to be a practicing Christian in Europe because you, you get criticized all the time and you can see the remnants and the results of when the power, when the church had that power and it abused that power. Well, of course, that's what always happens with power. Power gets abused. But this was not how it was supposed to be. You know, this isn't what Jesus did. Jesus didn't take state power. I mean, Satan took him up on a mountain and said, look at all those kingdoms. I will give you state power of every state. 
And Jesus said, no, I'm not taking it. And it wasn't how Paul planted his churches. You know, Paul didn't tie anyone to anything at low tide. And it wasn't with control. It wasn't with tricks and manipulations that he brought people to Christ. It was with the witness of Jesus himself. The weakness of Paul gave Jesus credibility. Because really, when anyone's trying to convince you of something, what's the first question you ask? Honestly, when anyone's trying to convince you of anything, what's the first question you ask? When that guy knocks on your door, and he's got this beautiful metal $1,200 vacuum in his hand, and he he says he needs to show you something really bad about your carpet. You know, and this is important. And he'll even clean one for free just to show you. And you go, oh, okay. And he comes in and he pulls out a picture of all these little mites and microorganisms and, and little flying mini crustacean thingies in your rug. And he says, oh, look at all this is in your rug. Your children are breathing that. Do you want your children to breathe that? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want my children breathing mites. You know, oh my God, that's bad. And then he tells you, you could get asthma. You could get asthma if you don't clean that rug. It's real. Do you know that asthma increases by some percentage because of mites? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, 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 oh my gosh, I better not have that. And then you stop and you ask yourself, is this just some random guy running, really running around about kids getting asthma? So his solution is, is, is to walk door to door with a big vacuum? No, 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 there's an agenda here, right? He wants to sell you that vacuum. It isn't because he just got overtaken with a bout of compassion. He got overtaken with a want of commission. This was a sin of commission, not a sin of omission. But after he was done with the pitch, it became a sin, of, it went back to being an omission again. And my rug never recovered from that. They put some treatment on it, and it it got hard as a rock, and I had to throw it out. I don't care about the mites. I'll swallow those things all day. Give me my rug back. But they want something, right? That's what we always ask. What do you want? What is the agenda? What are you after? What are you trying to get? And it almost always involves money or power. So the power that they have is an imperfect power. The witness is tainted, right? It's not pure. It has a catch. That's why Jesus didn't come with power to force the gospel down people's throats. It's why he didn't come back after the resurrection to go and make Pilate change his mind. I always wondered that too. I'm like, wow, you got resurrected. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to go back to Herod and say, Herod, you wanted a magic trick. Take this, sucker. Boom. You know, hey, Pilate. Of course, it would not be above Pilate to go, oh, well, I'll kill you again. I mean, that was how they thought. But I thought, why didn't you come back and just make them believe? Show them. And then you realize that that wasn't Jesus' way. Jesus was to come in weakness so the world could see how loving God is. His weakness is what made his power perfect. Power corrupts, but weakness is pure. And that's always been one of my big arguments for Christ, at least in my head, is that Jesus wasn't a huckster like Jim Jones or an a, a empire builder like Hong Xiaokuan. He was, 
If he was, he would have gotten stuff for himself. The gospel would have been profitable for Jesus. He, he, being the Messiah, would have gotten him money and, and thrones and harems and trophies and parades. Well, he did get a parade. That didn't work out too well for him. But Jesus turned all that down. He turned all that down. He just served and he loved until he got killed. And yet his message has been the most powerful message in history because it is made perfect in weakness. Amen.